Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Matty Farrell, former point guard, Notre Dame, subscribe. So you should as well. This is two episodes in a row that I've brought up uh, two Shark guys. Last episode, we had Big Baby Davis at LSU, now Matt Farrell. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the dash barnburner.com and make sure to follow us on twitter at cbb theater you should also follow me at subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow taylor at taylor damel and the shark at v underscore shark underscore bb let's open the curtains Fellas, let's dive right into it. Pick up where we left off at 35 out of the Big East Conference. It's the St. John's Red Storm. Zero national titles, two Final Fours, 14 conference titles, six Elite Eights, nine Sweet Sixteens, and 30 NCAA tournaments for St. John's. Let me start by saying that there will be a lot of teams in this list that have once at at one point uh, graced the Big East with their presence. St. John's tried and true. They've been there forever. They're currently there and they've been up and down recently, but even before then, you know, they didn't have much mojo when we were growing up really in, in our middle school, high school days. And people when asked about pillar teams in the big East, they'll tell you about UConn, Syracuse. They'll even go to Providence with, with Dave Gavitt and not many people say St. John's. And I think it's because they're just kind of forgotten. What's weird is that they have some notable coaches patrol their sidelines like Luke, uh, Carneseca, Mike Jarvis, Steve Lavin. Mike Jarvis gave me a lot of Mr. T vibes, but Steve Lavin and Chris Mullen as well. And right now they have Mike Anderson, who did a great job at Arkansas prior to coming to New York. But they've never really had a potent team 
recently that you know you can think th- that that you can think of. And they haven't really made it to the tournament, and they haven't made noise in the tournament. Uh, they do have 30 tournament appearances, like I had mentioned, but I think another reason why people sort of forget about them is it can't be easy sharing a building and also a city with one of the more uh, iconic basketball franchises in the New York Knicks. So those are a few of my thoughts here with St. John's. I suppose you could say it's a little bit surprising that they're quote unquote this high at 35 shark. I'll kick it to you for the red storm thoughts. Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, St. John's is one of those schools where you always, you heard about how they used to be good, right? They're, they're one of those schools where um, you think that they have this history to them and they really do, but they haven't done really jack shit recently. You look at the, they made the tournament last year um, and they've made it four other times in this century. They, last they year, I think very, it was a playing game, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, I barely even remember it. This is not a memorable program right now. But when you really peel back the onion a little bit, you can see how successful a program they are. I believe they're in the top 10 all time in NCAA wins, which is pretty damn good. Uh, and, then you're going to raise your eyebrow and say, well, why the hell aren't they in the top 30 for schools? And that's because they have just been completely irrelevant this century. They have great players. The the, the year that they went to uh, the final four in 85, which it's hard to find a better duo than Chris Mullen and Mark Jackson right there for two guys that went on to play in the NBA. And then they also had Bill Wennington too, Mahler down in the paint, but uh, you know, St. John's it's, I think for a lot of people that are probably probably around 40 years old, they were one of the cool teams to root for in the 80s, going into the 90s, especially those folks in the Northeast. But really, they're about as irrelevant as, you know, Providence right now. There's there's nothing really to say about them. St. John's is kind of like the highest ranked underachieving team I think we have on our list. You know, they're like you said, they're ninth in total victories. They don't have a ton to show for it banner wise. And I think a lot of also their lore or however you want to phrase that is because they're in New York City. They play at MSG. If you look at all of their stats, they're not all that much different than some of the schools we debated not being that important in the in Sharks' mind, like the Princeton's or the you know the San Francisco's or whatever. If you did blind resume and didn't realize St. John's was in New York and played at Madison Square Garden, maybe they wouldn't even be this high on our list. And I always think it's interesting with schools like that that are in major metro areas that really don't need to recruit. St. John's especially some some team some teams don't even have to recruit out of state and they should be top 25. These guys shouldn't even have to recruit out of the five boroughs that their school is located in. Like literally they don't they could go 20 miles in either direction and probably find a top 25 team in there. So it kind of strikes me as strange and maybe it's a top down because I don't know a ton about uh, St. John's athletic department as a whole. But you think, man. No elite eights in 21 years in a, with a school with the New York City school. Uh, it, it's interesting, and I, I, it's really probably worth a deeper dive into find out why St. John's can't get any better than they are now. Even with Chris Mullen, their most famous alum, was coach for four years there, four or five years, and they had 
what two tournament appearances with him or just one that just that one last I think it was year. just that one well yeah right and maybe the year before he came there in 2015 as well one but of yeah, the worst yeah. by the way one of the worst offensive performances i've ever seen in any basketball game st john's was <laughs> awful against asu they were terrible yeah well you know that bobby hurley uh you know vaunted defense there but uh yeah you know i think it's just interesting to me how underachieving St. John's is. Um, they're kind of like, they're almost like the better version of Washington, another major Metro team that you're like, oh, wait, this team isn't better than this. Why? Because, you know, that, that ranks up there in wins, but doesn't really have any top end success to show for it. They just seem to be kind of dormant and a footnote. Like I said, when you're rolling in the Big East, which historically is probably the best conference ever, either them or the ACC. And then not even just the the competition in terms of the teams, but the head coaches that you're going up against as well. John Thompson, Jim Beheim, Jim Calhoun, Dave Gavitt, legends of the game. And and so, I mean, they have some, like I had mentioned, some of their coaches, they have some good no- names as well. Uh, it just doesn't necessarily seems to seem to be on par in terms of the best player we had mentioned or we had said that it was Chris Mullen, I think that's a pretty good candidate right there. And then Felipe Lopez, fan favorite. I love this pick. I think there was a 30 for 30 on Felipe Lopez. But, Shark, I think you had a few notes on Felipe. No, that was Taylor. Oh, that was Taylor. Okay. Taylor, you want to talk? Oh, unpack Felipe Lopez's story a little bit about St. John's? I did the Big East. That was fucking one of you guys. Unbelievable. <laughs> that, it, <laughs> this is good. This is good podcast right now. No, this is definitely shark. I was the ACC and the SEC. Shit. How many conferences did I do? I did like 78 fucking teams compared to everybody else's like 30. They did. You did pick up. Yeah. It could have been me actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, wait a second here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never, I don't even know who Felipe Lopez is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually that note might've been just, I think I just mentioned or I wrote down check Google Felipe Lopez. So it was a note to yourself. <laughs> no, I just know he had a, a documentary. Let me make sure this is the right guy, actually. <laughs> See, this is what I mean about St. John. It's just like yeah, right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that much research on you. Uh, okay, we'll dive into Felipe Lopez for a second, but we've only kind of shit on them and yet we've still ranked them as the 35th best program in the country. Uh, they have winning records in the Big East against uh, all but three schools. Uh, excuse me, all but two schools in the Big East all time, and that's Syracuse and Marquette are the only two schools that they've lost to uh, more often than they won. That's pretty good considering, you know, the depth of the Big East like we talked about over the course of time. Um, And, you know, a lot of it too is based off of, you know, like they played teams like CCNY back in the day. Well, CCNY won a national championship in like the 40s. So in those days, kind of the the toddler stage of college basketball, not quite the infancy, however you want to go in there, uh, those were bigger, those were huge games, St. John's and CCNY in like the 40s, right? But like like Shark said, there's they they really haven't done anything lately. In fact, they have other than Syracuse, they have a winning record against every single school in the state of New York, other than Syracuse. Some good nuggets right there. Yeah, Felipe Lopez, by the way, still just very high level. I think he had Michael Jordan-type expectations and never really met them. Uh, go so, like, find so like St. John's program pretty much as a whole. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, right, okay. But Felipe Lopez, uh, fan favorite. Next, 
at 34. I'm not even going to say the name. I want you guys to guess it based on the tune that I'm about to sing. Almost heaven. West Virginia. I did say the name, unfortunately. But it is the West Virginia Mountaineers at 34. Zero national titles, two final fours, 15 conference titles, three elite eights, 11 sweet 16s, 29 NCAA tournaments. Uh, The Mountaineers, their tourney berth, it's really the driver, plus their recent success in getting to a final four, which I think was about 10 years or so ago. And we'll dive into some of the players and one of the greatest moments uh, in, in tournament history in my book. West Virginia is a team that's either really good, pretty good, or just terrible. I mean, I think last year or two, no, it was two years ago, they were god-awful when they had to kick off Sagabay Kanate within the first couple weeks. But I feel like they're never really a bubble team. You know, they're either firmly in the field about to make a Final Four run. They're firmly in the field where they might get to around a 32 Sweet 16 game, or they're completely out. Uh, another little note that, you know, obviously Huggy is is the coach and he's at his alma mater. But if you look directly next to Huggy, there's a man named Billy Hahn assistant coach for the Mountaineers. And he's kind of like this mini huggy bear kind of reminds me a little bit about, of Ric Flair as well. He's got the slick gray hair, black shirt. That's a little too tight. I think he might even have a little gold uh, chain around his wrist, but yeah. And and I had mentioned this as well. The, the final four moment that huggy and Deshaun Butler had the embrace after Butler, I think tore his ACL and basketball really became secondary, and we saw why we all love Huggins. Uh, those are some of my thoughts on West Virginia coming in at 34. Shark, thoughts on the Mountaineers? Good resume. They, they've been competing uh, pretty much within each decade. That's something that we look at can sustain success. They've really been chopping wood this century, though. When you look at what they've done, uh, they've made the Sweet 16 multiple times. They have the one Final Four in 2010, another Elite Eight from early 2005 as well. So they've really been good. And when I look at their team, this is something that gets said, and I'm I, Taylor, you're going to start perking up a little bit once I say this, but a lot of times when people look at the Green Bay Packers and their quarterbacks and how blessed they were to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers or like when the Colts were to, able to go to from, Jordan Love to Jordan Love. Yeah. Continue. No, on. Uh, maybe. All right. But uh, or the Colts when they went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, West Virginia men's basketball being able to go from John Beeline to Bobby Huggins for pretty much 20 years. I mean, that's pretty damn good in the, in the in this sport right here, especially because it's not an elevation from one staff to polar opposites when you talk about their personalities. That, those have been their coaches in this century. And, yeah, I, I mean, both of them are phenomenal. Huggies, Huggy Bears only missed, I think, two tournaments. Beeline got him to the Elite Eight with his kid and the team that we're probably get, we've talked about plenty of times, the Pitsnoggle and Air Bear and Gansey and all these other guys that were on that team. But if you're a West Virginia basketball fan, the fact that you've had those two CEOs in charge of your program, what's better than that? Well, and if you look at someone who's kind of like an overriding figure above those guys, that's always around the program is a guy like Jerry West as well. You know, speaking of running the program, not that he is a part of the athletic department, but I'm going to guess at West Virginia, if Jerry West has something to say, they're probably going to listen to him. Um, They are, you know, Jerry West was drafted in 
like the 60s or, or I think 70 maybe. Um, he's the logo. That's, the, the, you know, he elevates the, the program a lot as well. They're, I think, 22nd or 23rd all time in total wins. Uh, so that's right up there. Uh, but kind of like almost with St. John's in a way, um, they don't have huge top end success. They have the length of success, but they don't have, they've only really peaked out twice. Uh, runner up in 59 and final four in 2010. I do want to add this nugget in here though. Uh, and this is the, uh, the stat that pointed or that was pointed out to me the most here was that the most points they ever scored in the game was 132 versus the university of Alaska Fairbanks in 1994. I can't believe they only scored 132 points in that game. I mean, I love the way that you shoehorned that in there. I mean, how often is the University of Alaska Fairbanks going to get talked about in the top 50 basketball programs of all time? So I got to take take what I can get here. That's why we bring the heat. That's why you got to listen to Titch. Not every – I mean, you think Titus and Tate's bringing up UAF? I don't think so. Bill Simmons ain't either, but we'll talk about that more later. So for the best player, Mountaineers, we had mentioned Jerry West, and then also fan favorite, another person that we mentioned, uh, Deshaun Butler. Uh, I mean, he shouldn't go down just for that that moment in the tournament when he injured himself. He was a damn good player. Uh, Joey Missoula, another great player on those teams. I think I, I don't know why I just love Truck Bryant, under, undersized uh, point guard named Truck. Can't can't hate that. Uh, so a lot of Dennis Caligula, just a Javon like Carter. Him. I used to Javon love Carter, Javon yeah. Carter. Yep. Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Suns starting point guard Javon Carter. Yeah, former uh, Memphis Grizzly. Yeah. Joe Alexander. Joe Alexander. Yeah, he's a top 10 pick. Bucks, Bucks really wasted that pick on Joe Alexander. But, you know, West Virginia has had some players, and, and you know, they they epitomize – who's the guy? Nathan uh, – Nathan, Nathan something. Nathan Al- Adrian. Nathan Adrian. Thank you. Not not the gold medal winning swimmer, Nathan Adrian, but the basketball player, Nathan Adrian. Yeah, we, we know a decent amount of West Virginia – basketball players and i think that's a testament to like you had mentioned how good they've been over the course of these past 20 or so years all right let's move on to 33 that's the memphis tigers zero national titles three final fours 14 conference titles six elite eights 11 sweet 16s and 26 ncaa tournaments instead of us discussing uh memphis we actually brought on the back to our cut show guys we've got sam and we've got mason coming up here in an interview but before we get to that a quick message from the other backdoor cut guy zach all right we want to welcome to the program the backdoor cut show gentlemen we obviously just uh, unveiled memphis so first and foremost before we dive into i don't know what, what what the chief's showing us right now we got sam and, and mason here and it looks like penny hardaway on a penny is that what i'm looking at right now it, you're looking exactly you're looking at a giant foam penny hardaway uh, that was unveiled and given to us whenever he became the head coach of the Memphis Tiger basketball program. Uh, I, I take it with me wherever I go. Uh, no, I actually do not. It's just been in my apartment forever, and I figured I would keep it uh, and use it for this moment. So each fan got that? Each fan got that, yeah. It was at the first game that he coached. And I, uh, our great president, Dr. Dr. Rudd, mailed me my own copy all the way out here just outside of Los Angeles. So shout out to Dr. Rudd for that. We've come a long way. Back when I lived with the chief, uh, we lived in a home, and in that home, we had a fat head. It wasn't even a fat head. It was something we just sent to FedEx Kinko's of the fat 
assistant coach of Tennessee when Donnie Tyndall was the head coach that we called him Big Gulp. So, Sam, you've come a long way with your swag in terms of what you're hanging up in your house from the days of hanging Big Gulp in the living room. Yeah, I like to think I've developed professionally, personally, in everything, uh, although Big Gulp remains in my heart forever. So I want to. I see a bike hanging behind you now too. Yeah. So that's. I mean, I assume that's a real bike and not a printout of one. It is. Yeah. It's not a. It's not a fathead bike. Uh, that'd be an incredible <laughs> poser move for me to do that. Um, but uh, you're, my fathead dirt bike's actually on this side over here. <laughs> Isn't that the bike Mike Mike Miller rode out of town? Mm-hmm. We'll see you, Mike, uh, when you go become whatever you're going to do. Probably the head coach of uh, some other program, like two years from now. No, nah, he's going to be a sports agent. Look for Precious Achua to sign with him and a couple other guys. Mason with the intel, always. Yeah. So, I mean, if that happens in two years' time, we're going to come back to this. But I do want to go back even further to what you had already referenced, uh, the barn where you and the shark lived in your law school days. And so during this entire summer, we're counting down our top 50 college basketball programs of all time, and it was deemed the manifesto. Now, the shark, when we first launched this, gave us a little bit of context. Sam, I want you to do the exact same from your perspective, the context here on how this was born uh, amongst you you two. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, we, we were just a bunch of college basketball miscreants in, in law school with more time on our hands than we now re- we realized at the time and now wish we had back probably. We were sitting in an apartment, I believe Mark's apartment, uh, underneath his, uh, his signed jerseys on his couch that he hangs up everywhere. I assume you still hang those up. Is that in your living room currently or did, did your fiance veto those? Yeah, those got moved into the other room, but yeah, they're, I'm about they're, to have the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. And uh, we, we were we decided, you know, why hasn't anyone actually gone through and ranked or, or, or scored the college basketball programs historically? I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time. ESPN had put out an article, I think, that had sort of done that in 2012, uh, which may or may not come up on, on this segment. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we were fans and we wanted to come up with an actual like metric, a grading rubric, because we were so rigorously graded in law school to figure out how do you rank these sons of bitches? You know, is, is, is it about their historical success? Is it about the NBA players they put into the league? Is it about their success nationally in terms of their notoriety? Do people know about them? Is there is it a regional thing? Uh, so we started to develop our metric uh, and then dive into the programs. And I think we made it like 13 programs in or something. We didn't make it very far. And it was something that routinely came up and we wanted to finish it, but then real life got in the way. Uh, shout out Ryan Logue, uh, who was there. And every time we felt like we had a moment where we knew what we were going to do, Logue would pop in and say, well, hang on, man, what about this? You know, and, and, and give us a little segment there. And that's just what he does. He challenges the process. Yeah, we've had Logan before. You know, we, we turn to Logue when we're really in the dog days and we need someone just to drive some content for us. Yeah. We, we, we kind of just push play on him. But Straight yeah, you're, yeah you're, you're, you're entirely right about that process. We, we gave it like one hard drinking night and we kind of fizzled out after that one night. But the idea was still there and it was referenced many times going forward. And now, and now it's, and- it's holding us over during this uncertain time. Right now you're carrying it forward on this podcast. I was excited to see when the shark sent out an email about it saying like, Hey, we're going to bring this back up. Um, and it's awesome. I think it's even better in podcast form when you, you count it down rather than having to read this long ass article. Uh, you're seeing Bill Simmons do it, the book of basketball on podcast form. And then obviously Simmons and theater and college hoops, very, very much on par with each other. So it's good to see that uh, this podcast is carrying the flame. Yep, we're we're in the same market. We're going after the same demographic, uh, really competing with those twenty-two-year-old kids that are into the game right now. So, um, yeah, he, he he's our competition, no doubt about that one. 
Mace, I want to bring you in here. Uh, so we just unveiled Memphis. Where do you think, and to the theater goers, we have not told them where they ranked. Where do you think of the top 50 we've put Memphis? Uh, if you would have asked me probably four, four years ago, I would have said right around 25, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling like now after, what is it? Six years of missing the tournament, we've probably dropped off a little bit. I'd say 32, 33, somewhere around in there. Sam, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's really I, exactly what I would have said. And I, I would put us at 30, 29, maybe I'd like to see us crack that 20 just for my own, for my own sake, uh, for my own mental sake. But then when you look at the past decade, it's been kind of a tough hang, but you know, I, but I'm excited to hear what you guys think. I mean, I want to hear what you guys have to say about our program. We're incredibly biased individuals. Mason Massey, I do declare 33. <laughs> he looked that up. Titch rankings. Did you look it up? Well, I mean, uh, Sue asked us not to listen to the previous episodes, but he asked us that like two days ago, and I've already devoured all those episodes. So, oh yeah, I, I, know, I knew the framework of where we were. So, uh, but but I was also think when you guys posted the first episode, um, doing fifty through forty six or whatever it was, I I figured we'd be right in the mid thirties. So I want to talk a little bit about that 08 Memphis team first and foremost. Because when we were looking at this ranking, uh, they're the one team that jumps out to us, right? They're the na- almost a perfect season in the national title game, played one of the greatest games from a neutral perspective, of course. But I also want to talk about in terms of them changing a culture, right? You think of the Fab Five with at Michigan. You think of UNLV, who we unveiled last episode. In terms of culture changers, where do you think the 08 Memphis Tigers team ranks uh, in the annals of college basketball. Go ahead, Mason. <laughs> I think it's interesting because we had, it wasn't a bunch of top recruits, really. We had a bunch of grown men on that team. Like we, we were trotting out 24, 25 year olds to play against college kids. So anytime you're able to do that, it gives you a head up. But uh, I mean, we, that team was just gangster. Like they were coming to dunk on you and fuck your bitch afterwards. And like, if they might not dunk on you, but they were still going to fuck your bitch. Um, there, there's, the legend of these guys is more so to me on campus, on Bill Street. You just hear the stories about the parties, the clubs, uh, like 152 on Bill Street. Just the the this the the way that those guys live in lore on University of Memphis campus. Um, that that's legendary stuff, and I, I think that's just as impactful as the basketball that they played on the court. I mean, on the court they were fun to watch. They got up and down. They were high flying. Uh, Joey Dorsey could block anyone. He was a mammoth of a man. CDR was silky smooth. Antonio Anderson was, you know, just the floor general. So I don't I don't think that they rank up there with the Fab Five, but they did have swag similar to that. And I mean, just off the court, their swag and just willingness to not give a fuck about what people said. Uh, They might walk into the crowd and smack a fan like they did at UAB. Like that team was just so gangster. And, and that's kind of the, the way that they live in my eyes. Yeah, that's that's good summation for sure. I mean, I, they're not like – they weren't a bunch of freshmen. You know, that's something that, the common misconception is that those Cal Perry Memphis teams were like, like his Kentucky teams. But it was kind of right before he started doing that. He was mostly building teams, keeping guys on board, juniors, seniors on the roster, and then bringing in one guy like a, in a couple of years you saw there, like a Sean Williams, a, a Derrick Rose, a Tyreek Evans, and kind of adding it to that mix of existing players. So to me, that's how you, I mean, that's how you win 
the tournament is you have like that, that, that mishmash of players. Uh, so that's what he was doing. Not until he went to Kentucky, was he starting to like start five freshmen and do the platoon system and all that bullshit. Um, not going to listen to the Kentucky episode, but you, the, the team itself, it, you got to understand at the time, like Grizzlies basketball was not a thing. Like the Grizzlies came to the city in 2001. Uh, they had a couple playoff runs in 03, 04, 05 with Pal Gasol. But then at that era, they were a 20 something win team with, with, with draft picks that weren't panning out. So, I mean, no one cared about them. The premier show in the city was the Memphis Tiger basketball team at the FedEx Forum. You know, a good point on how old those teams were, too, as, as I was doing research, you know, for this episode and whatnot. Like, Sean Taggart, for example, is 35 years old. I still think of these guys as, like, 29 or 30. Like, that dude's already – you talk about being a grown man, like – he seemed like he was 35 then, but it's incredible how old those guys are now. Now, I do have to bring up the, the really bad point simply because I am an Alaskan, and I really – I'm going to apologize in advance about – Fuck Mario Chalmers. It's not the name I'm going to bring up, but one of the things that I had hanging on my wall in college was a Mario Chalmers jersey. So, sorry about that. Is there more – is there a more hated person in uh, from Memphis fans than Mario Chalmers? I don't think so. Uh, he had a brief stint with the Grizzlies where he was hooping and that kind of mended some of the wounds. But overall, Tigers fans still have a, a deep hatred for Chalmers. But it's also like I think we kind of came around to like, well, Cal should have told him to foul and Cal did tell him to foul and the guys didn't foul. So, you know, it is what it is. It's basketball. People make big shots. And if we would have made free throws, we would have won that game. So you can't hold it over his head too much. Yeah, I was going to say, how many free throws? I can't remember. How many free throws did they miss down the stretch? It was like six or eight or something ridiculous, right? There's a bunch of, there was like five, I think. It was like a bunch of split, you know, miss of front yeah, and one sure. and ones. Um, Derek Rose hit a free throw like right before that actually put us up three that made them have to shoot a three to win. So that was like a weird clutch free throw that no one talks about because of what ultimately happened. But like, it's all, I watch it every year. I, I know. I, I've told you guys this. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's kind of a pilgrimage for you to watch it. I guess a video pilgrimage to watch that every year, just to remind yourself of where you've been. I want to ask you guys a "Would you rather"? Um, are you familiar with the movie uh, Clockwork Orange? I am. Okay, so you're familiar. Have you you know the scene? I, I've never actually seen the movie, but I know the scene of when they got the guy's eyeballs and they're taping his eyeballs open and they're making him watch like crazy shit over and over again. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Would you rather be forced to watch Derrick Rose miss those free throws for, let's call it, two hours straight? Or Darius Washington miss the three free throws in the years before that for three hours straight? <laughs> I mean, that, that's fucking tough. Uh, I guess I'll go with Darius Washington just because it didn't have a national title on the line. It only had a birth to the NCAA. Yeah, title on the line. I should have. I should have given it more time. On top yeah, of it. yeah. yeah, yeah. The stakes there are a little higher. I, I mean, with the Derrick Rose stuff, too, am I just watching like a an edit of all the missed free throws? Like, like yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, if you can't know. pick up on it, I'm just trying to double backhand you right now. With the, I understand. The, the, your, yeah, you're your trying to talk about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looping in a bad another bad example of bad free throw shooting um but all right yeah that was really the point of my question i actually have another question right here and it's more of a fact so if you guys want to just listen to this when i was going through all the schools that um have made our top 50 have made our manifesto i was blown away at memphis you guys out of all of your final four appearances you have the highest rate 
of having them be withdrawn after the fact because of sanctions or cheating or some other thing like that. So really, I just want to congratulate you on your 66% hit rate on having your Final Four stripped from you after the fact. Comet? Can't take the memories away, baby. (laughs) Well, we were all there. You ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Fair enough. Do you guys, is is that 85 team, um, is that kind of in the same sort of folklore as – Everyone, you guys speak very highly of the the 08 team and how everyone was older and everyone was very Memphis. Uh, There's a Memphisness to them. I did a little bit of research on the 85 team. It seemed like everyone was from Shelby County. So I don't know if that was a similar type thing. I know you guys are both younger, but uh, is is that same sort of sentiment and mystique there for that team? And also, what the hell happened with that coach afterwards? He got indicted for what he did. At least Calipari didn't do that. Yeah, Dana Kirk, he ran into some trouble. Um, But that 85 team, I think with the older generation, it does. uh, It's just like the 08 team. I mean, they had Keith Lee, William Bedford, Andre Turner, Vincent Askew, all went on to play in the NBA. Uh, Baskerville Holmes was really talented, um, had an unfortunate life since then. Um, Dwight Boyd remains around the program in, in the athletic department. John Wilfong. Yeah, man. All, all those guys are for sure legends in Memphis to this day. Yeah, a lot of buildings on campus or streets are named after them. So you still see those players' names and students there. And uh, yeah, I mean, like it's still talked about. Obviously, when you, you have to count your final fours, man, if you get one, you got to remember it and you got to be aware of that team uh, if you're a college basketball fan. I'll give you guys credit. That's that 1973 team ran a really, really clean program. So you should really be proud of those guys right there as well. Yeah. That With was- that, I, that- that's the Bill Walton game, right? The perfect game when he yeah. didn't fucking miss. Yeah, yep. Here's the thing. The Sharks just never experienced any sort of college basketball success. And once he does, in five years, if they're proven to have cheated, he'll be singing the exact same tune that we are. So just once once you get a little taste of it, then you'll be able to join this fraternity. But I also wanted to uh, double back to that clockwork orange thing there, Shark. Uh, I think we need to start a glossary of some sort because we got Preston Blaking. Now I think we got clockwork oranging or just clockworking. We got to put together just a definition, a set glossary that the theater goers can look at. Um, But in terms of Memphis and their overall body of success or their resume, I should say, let me read you, uh, read this off to you guys. Zero national titles, three final fours, 14 conference titles, six elite eights, 11 Sweet 16s, and 26 NCAA tournament berths. Obviously, you guys are incredibly close to the program. You know the history. Do any of those numbers stand out to you? Did any surprise you? Was there anything that I just read off that you were unaware of? I think my thing with our our resume and something that we went over when we did the uh, initial manifesto was that we've had sustained success. You know, we've been relevant in the past 50 years of college basketball, which I think is, in fact, the the most recent 10 years is probably the least relevant we've been, you know, since the, 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 the golden days of college basketball. So I think when you get to a final four in three or five decades and um, you constantly win your conference and you, you spread that success out and, and constantly put notable players into the league, you just always like people are aware of you. You know, it maybe is one of the better mid-major programs, but still a notable program. I, I think that's what stands out to me when I look at our resume is kind of the years, um, not any one individual accomplishment, but but the years. Obviously, if we had a title, then that would be a standout situation, but you know, as we sit here today, we do not. Yeah, and just to, I, I would say that those years in Conference USA really boosted that resume. 
um, and maybe is even giving Memphians a, an obscure, obscured view of what our program actually is. Um, Memphis fans are always, you know, thinking that we should be a top five, top, top 10, t- top 10 team. Even Sam, uh, every year we don't make the tournament. He is throwing a bitch fit. He, he, he goes into a deep depression every year. Um, so, you know, Memphis fans are loyal, but I do think we've been kind of misguided by being in shitty conferences for the last 30 years. Well, so those are some objective numbers. We also included some subjective uh, columns as well. So we tried mentioning best player and fan favorite. Now, we had put Derrick Rose for both of those. Best, I think best player, feel free to check me there. I think he should fall under best player. Is he also the fan favorite, though, as, as, a, as Memphis guys? You know, is that kind of just like the cliche pick? Or are you guys more of the, you know, there's other fan favorites that people need to know about? I'm not sure there's any Memphis fan who would choose Derrick Rose as their fan favorite. Ah, um, okay. There, there's basically no connection from him in the university um, since that season. Um, so I, I think Keith Lee um, for the older generation would be the fan favorite. Uh, for me, it's CDR, maybe Will Barton, uh, even my boy Joe Jackson. Um, but yeah, D-Rose D- definitely the best player, but um, not the fan favorite, not at all. I think I was the one who put this together, the fan favorite and the and the uh, best player. Is that is that right, Subi? What was I on Memphis? I've honestly forgot, but I'll, I'll okay. let you take that. Because my other my other thought for fan favorite was going to be Penny, but I figured now that he as coach, maybe that wasn't the way to go. Where, how does Penny rank? Uh, in, I mean, he's top two or three, right? Yeah, that's on me. I, I completely forgot about Penny. <laughs> I was, you know, was going to say. The guy that runs your program and shit like that? Yeah, okay. He's like got a bone to pick with the best the best player with D-Rose for sure in terms of their NBA success. And, uh, I mean, Penny didn't only went to the Elite Eight. He didn't go to the, the final. But, you know, I, I like like you guys know, there's a million players you love more than, like, who I know at Arizona, for example. Like, you know, I, I would just name guys in the league now that like, you know, went into the high on the draft for the past 10 years and either were busts or like Derek Williams is someone I think of because Memphis played y'all in the second round. And it's like I remember him more than I would like probably your favorites. You remember uh, so, him calling uh, Wesley Witherspoon and them not calling it because we're, we were in a mid-major conference? It's good D. Probably. <laughs> I'm sure that happened. But uh, it, it was how the game ended. He found the shit. I don't remember that. <laughs> I haven't watched that game since then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I, I, I mean, of that, of the teams that I grew up watching, like I really liked Dewan Wagner, uh, when I, you know, like in the 2000 team, uh, that was kind of Cal's first blue chip. And I really liked, uh, Antonio Anderson, the two guard for four years for us. Like Antonio Anderson was my favorite player of those teams without a doubt. Yeah. And, and a sneaky, uh, lower ranked guy would be DJ Steffens. Memphis fans absolutely love him for his high flying dunks and blocks. I mean, he was just a human highlight reel. Still no Joey, Joey Dorsey love here. Sam, what was the name of that uh, point guard that transferred from Memphis to Tennessee when we were there? Antonio Barton? That's right. Yeah, Will Barton's brother. Yeah, that kid sucked. But it was nice to have him on the team. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to – obviously, we've revealed where we put you guys yet, Sue, but I don't know if you told him what rank – you told him earlier, but I actually thought you guys uh, are way too high on our list in terms of where we have you at 33. I don't think you're that great of a program and I'm kind of blown away that you're putting yourselves at 25 absent the past few years. Um, 
why, why outside of the two years where you had your final fours vacated, why do you think that you belong within the top 30, even putting aside the recent downtrodden years that you've had? And I want to, Mason, you touched on this in the beginning. A lot of your stats are fluffed up from the fact that you play in, you know, cupcake conferences. You're not playing other good school. You're not playing with the competition that the LSUs, uh, or, um, you know, who else do I have above you right here? Like anyone else like Iowa or any all these other schools that are playing better competition than you? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you those those stats. Just like your opinion, something. man. Yeah, I, I was expecting <laughs> this. It was actually 22 minutes in. I was expecting it a lot sooner from you, Shark. Um, you can only play who you can play, you know. And, I mean, we, we do have the NCAA tournament appearances, um, some success in the tournament. So, I guess my rebuttal would be just – who are you going to put over us? Just teams that are in a major conference who are mediocre? I'll list the 38 that I put above you. I had LSU, Houston, San Fran, UNLV. Well, that's not uh, even a huge, a huge gap. <laughs> <laughs> that's like five spots. I know. I'm, I'm just trying to light a fire on this right now. You know, I want to get it going because, you know, the rivalry is starting to come back alive. Who makes a Final Four first? The Tennessee Volunteers and Rick Barnes or Memphis and Penny Hardaway? Depends on how hard we get hit by NCAA sanctions. <laughs> See, the fact that the fact that you didn't answer right away tells me that you know that you know it's not going to be you. So you guys, you know, kind of echoing or not echoing Sharks thoughts, but uh, building off that is twenty six tournament appearances is a pretty good amount of appearances. Uh, you're probably only, in my opinion, which is different from Sharks, you're only like three or four or five more appearances and an Elite Eight appearance for maybe moving up this list uh, a, you know, a little bit. So what are your guys' thoughts on what's going to happen here in the next couple of years? Uh, are, are we assuming Penny survives through all this, which I think he will, but are, are, is the program going to get hurt like an Oklahoma State just did this week with a ban or anything like that. What are your guys' thoughts on how things are going to progress here in the next couple of years? Shit, man. I don't know. You know, like I wish I had like uh, some intel or some a feeling on it, but it re- like basically trying to guess what the NCAA is doing. It's like shadow botching. You know, you can't do it. Like you don't ever know how hard they're going to hit somebody. I will say that, that we did give the middle finger to the NCAA playing – uh, James Wiseman anyway, and then also seeking an attorney to file an injunction against them here in town. And they did not take kindly to that as any any organization would. Uh, so that's sort of painted a, an additional target on our back, which we didn't need. So, I mean, if they can get us, they'll, they'll get us. And if they can hit us hard, they'll hit us hard. I think that's, the, that's where I stand on that. Uh, and I think our success kind of depends on when those that hellfire rains down or doesn't. Um, I, I, uh, I really can't anticipate. Yeah, out, without the sanctions, I, I think our program's in good hands. I mean, Penny can coach, contrary to what Sharp may tell you on Twitter. I do think Penny is a, a good coach, um, and our guys have improved. I think this season, obviously, we lost Wiseman, who is the best player in the country, and what all the preseason hype was based around. Um, so if you don't have him in that recruiting class, we're probably not even a top 25 team in the preseason. Um, and then we lost DJ Jeffries, our third best player, halfway through the season. And I mean, we were just throwing out three and four stars, freshmen, hoping that they could compete with grown men um, in Houston and Cincinnati. Some of these teams who had uh, more experienced players. But, yeah, I have full confidence in Penny. I think he will. um, You know, this this year we would have had Jalen Green if Adam Silver doesn't set up a Zoom call and offer him a million dollars. 
Um, so I, it's just one thing after another, which is no excuse for Penny. Um, but I think if we avoid the sanctions, I, I think we'll be back making Sweet 16 runs in the next two, three years. Well, Mason, we discussed this a couple of weeks ago when you had me on the Back to Our Cut show. I mean, patience. You got to preach patience. This is only Penny's second year right, under his belt as a head coach, right? So, I mean, the patience has to be there with the fan base, and I know they're thirsting for another run like 08, but they don't just grow on trees. Uh, but Taylor had brought up the point about the future, and we had brought up this person's name right when you guys jumped on. That's Mike Miller. Recently, he uh, left the program, and he was integral in in those recruits, in getting those recruits, and he connects with the young players. The players know who he is. He's had experiences with LeBron James, which may sound very trivial, but Mike Miller was a key cog in getting some of those big names to Memphis. Uh, With him leaving the program, what sort of impact do you think that'll have, number one? And number two, Sam, this is a question for you. Uh, No love for him for him taking on that Juco transfer in the video? You didn't, you didn't want that to go viral there? Mason, I'll let you take on question number one. What, what do you think about Mike leaving, and what have you heard about his replacement? Uh, I appreciate everything Mike did for the program. I mean, anytime you can be talking to a recruit and have LeBron hop on FaceTime, that's obviously an advantage um, to getting top-tier players. Uh, the, the thing with Mike not was not on the court. Um, anytime he was charged with scouting the opponent, like, our game plan was great. There's, there's no denying his basketball mind. But ever since he was hired, there was always rumblings about, oh, Mike's leaving this year. Mike's leaving next year. Mike's going to join his brother at UNLV. Mike's going to go coach Florida. So I'm just kind of happy to have all that behind us. And, I, I, I mean, guys want to come coach with Penny. He's a cool dude. You're going to get paid um, one of the best salaries an assistant coach can get in the country. Um, and you're going to have a top-tier facility. You're going to get all the pennies you want. You're going to be swagged out. And you're going to have access to these top-tier recruits and the ability to sell them. Um, on how Penny can coach, we've seen him turn Jeremiah Martin, who was uh, basically a no-star, who was going to Louisiana Tech before he came to Memphis, into a guy who now is on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we've seen Precious Achua, who came in as a super raw prospect and now is a lottery pick. Um, scouts who are prepping for the NBA draft have just been raving about his improvement throughout the season. Um, and then I think we'll see another jump this year from guys like DJ Jeffries and Lester Quinones and Boogie Ellis. So uh, I, I think we'll get a solid assistant coach to fill Mike Miller's shoes. Obviously they won't have the celebrity that he has, but Mike's always had other business interests and other, other things uh, that he wanted to be a part of. So this is not a surprise losing him. And I appreciate the two years he spent with us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, he's a he chose to come back here to Memphis, and uh, he uh, his his wife coached at Houston High School here, coached volleyball there for a long time, and and so what when we were when he played here at Memphis in the two thousands. So he's a big Memphis guy. So that's always good when someone chooses our city to come back and live in. Um, as for my so yeah, the, a video started to go viral on Mike Miller giving. Uh, Kevin Davenport, who we, you played two years for us, love Kevon. This is not a hate fest on Kevon, but it, Mike Miller is in practice, and in an edited video, gives Kevon Davenport like like four straight buckets. It, notably, an edited video too. We don't see the buckets in between the shots that he makes, uh, and then everyone on Twitter decides that this video itself proves the jump between college and the NBA, which is what I take issue with. It's just fucking asinine to make that declaration based on this video, which I think has no context anyone so i 
as much as I love our, our program getting that notoriety, you know, I also want to be real on Twitter. That's that's sort of my thing. So I just had to point it out. I feel like the cause for that is twofold. One, because there's a lot of casual people out there that don't know what a contributor Mike Miller actually was at the NBA level. Six man uh, of the year, man. Yeah, like, was he also rookie of the year? Rookie yeah. of the year, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, hit a big time three in an NBA Finals game without a shoe. I mean, all, all the factors in play for sure. Uh, but, you know, I just had to point out what was going on there. And, you know, I'd like to see the whole thing. You know, I want to see unedited. Like, show me the real tapes. I want to see the unedited Jordan footage here. What they can't edit out is the fat lipper uh, of dip Mike Miller has in his mouth every shit, yeah. time he's shooting. On yeah. <laughs> he, try, he mumbles something talking shit when he hits that last shot. And, like, it almost flies out of his fucking mouth onto the practice court. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, I, w- I want to say that's the prototypical South Dakota basketball player, but I don't know. I mean, he's got to be he's the, the only one. He's it, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. He's like the prototypical, yeah, just backwoods, any basketball player. But so I, I, got, I, I don't, guess. Don't sleep on Mike Dom. Don't sleep on Mike Dom. I don't know if he's from South Dakota, but he's. he's I, I do but, that so, too, too quick food relate. So Mike Miller has a bar in Germantown, which is a, a affluent suburb of Memphis called Let It Fly. Uh, which is, uh, you know, a uh, it's like supposed to be a place where everyone goes watch sports. I haven't been out there yet, but I want to check it out. Apparently, they got good apps. Uh, and then also, Cal Perry, when he was here, he had a steakhouse called Cal's uh, in kind of a, a richer part of like the business district of Memphis, East Memphis. And in fact, Cal's Steakhouse is apparently where he drew the dribble drive action on a napkin and was explaining to some other coach, like how, <laughs> what kind of fucking offense he runs. Uh, like I the lore that runs I deep is just is it preposterous. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that's what I've heard. You know, I give him, I give him, I give the guy credit for a great steakhouse name, but I don't believe that napkin story for a second. I have never shared a steak with anybody at Cal's, but I'm very disappointed that I never did. Uh, I, I feel like we would all have to go there if it still existed. It's not even like a great steakhouse name. That's just literally his name. Yeah, it's not, like he just came up, it's not like he just came up with it. It was also like in the lobby of a double tree. So, you know, I mean, like, you know, he's catching all the, the traffic, people flying in, the businessmen. You know, I, I, I think Shark would have taken in a game or two there when he was traveling a lot. Yeah. I don't, I don't respect steakhouses that are in hotels. That is a big bugaboo, a big rule that I have, sports bars, anything like that. You need to be your own separate entity. And I just it clicked in my head right here, too. You got Cal's, and then he's just playing off Calhoun's in Knoxville right there. He's just shortening Calhoon's. This guy's uh, must have been. <laughs> must have yeah, been. Of course. I wanted to bring that up. Does not hold a candle to Calhoun. That's my whole cathedral. You guys need to get like a sponsorship from Let It Fly or maybe even Cal's host a podcast there for Memphis basketball one time. I Cal's like long defunct. Great. Well, well, believe right, it or not, yeah, they yeah, shut true. that shit down when he rode yeah, out of yeah, fucking right. town. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe is Let It Fly going to close down too? I don't know. I ho- hopefully, it's got a solid <laughs> stream of business out there. Like I said, I haven't been. Uh, they have digital golfing. Uh, you know, if you guys ever make it to Memphis, we'll take a couple beers down at Let It Fly. Beale Beale Street and Let It Fly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take an Uber thirty minutes away. Go out there. <laughs> Start yeah, and- the night there, and then come back to Beale. <laughs> exactly. Street. Just to hit on that, uh, Let It Fly is an umbrella brand. So in addition to the restaurant, he's also got a healthy energy drink. Uh, he had a failed club that was inside FedEx Forum. So he's got a lot of business ventures going on under the moniker of Let It Fly. <laughs> so I guess that kind of leads to my last question here. And so Mike Miller made $98.5 million in the NBA. And so when it comes to like replacing him on, you know, 
Penny's staff or like the staffs going forward, it's going to be hard to convince guys who made a hundred million dollars in the NBA to say, Hey, fly out to like Paducah to go scout this like four-star guy. Do you think Penny's going to go towards the former NBA guys to be assistant coaches, or is it going to continue to be a a mix of both? I would say um, with the new G league, uh, you know, format that the top recruits can now go to. I, th- I think we'll move away from the NBA uh, style guy because we already have Cody Toppert on staff, who is another NBA guy, um, came from the Phoenix Suns organization. If you want to, you know, count that as an NBA team, no disrespect to Arizona. But um, I-, I think he's going to go with a recruiter. Um, one name that's popped up is Jordan Mincy out of Florida, who gets basically any guy he wants. Um, so I, I think he's going to go recruiting and, and it probably won't be as big of a splash as the Mike Miller hire was. Yeah. Um, you, you hear often like the rumors are that he's got this like kind of like stream of got recent retirees that are, you know, these guys all text, like they're all friends and that are interested in the job and will come do it. But you, you wonder if those guys want to come in for a year or two, if they want to actually grind and rather than fucking play golf and count their NBA earnings, like, like you said, jump on a charter plane out to the middle of nowhere and sit in a family's living room and show some kids an iPad of some player and be like, you're going to play like this. You know, like that's a tough life, uh, tough life, no matter what. So we'll see. Uh, I just hope you get someone that, you know, is, uh, is willing to do the job. That's all I can ask. The job being, you know, identify a kid when around 12 years old, you know, fund the family, get him involved, get him in the good graces and bring him in once he becomes a big time five-star that job. The job that, you know, that there's a trust fund set up like a decade before anyone's aware of the kid. Yes. And yeah, get back to yeah. the roots. It's, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's drawing interest and it's funneled through multiple <laughs> offshore accounts. Yes. That is the job. The moral yeah. high ground on the shark. Insane. Well, yeah, uh, you, it's it's just, I mean, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not even bringing up you, <laughs> like a you Arizona guys. It's like, I don't even want to be associated with you. You're so, you're so tainted and dirty that I, I feel dirty talking with you with all everything that you do over in that program out West. But <laughs> I don't, don't want to bring the Memphis guys. Look, I don't want to be. Show me the proof. Show me the proof. I don't want to be associated with a program that doesn't have the backbone to fire Jim Christian after the seasons he put up. But I got to do it. I got to do it for the theater goers. We're going to make the tournament. Uh, <laughs> fellas, I will let you out of here on this. I don't know if you noticed this or saw this, but ESPN published their top 25 for the class of 2023. Typically, that wouldn't make a tweet, but obviously, Bronny is in that class. But I don't know if you saw this or not. Do you know who the number one ranked player in that class is? Wani, baby. Mace. I do declare times two. Yeah. <laughs> what hey. lineage right there. So Milk when we get Bronny and Wani, like which is the greatest tandem NBA player duo in 2023, and we're dancing again, you know, we'll uh, we'll chat back in with you guys. I mean, I, I hope you guys do. I just feel like in what 2023, it's going to be uncommon place to go to the co- to, to go to college. I feel like everyone's just going to go straight to the G League. Probably so. And we'll be eligible for the tournament, at least by then, probably again. Yeah, let's hope the NCAA gets the, their head out of their ass and fixes some of these rules so the guys can make a nice living. And let's hope that Penny learned to not pay folks himself, as he did with Wiseman. Cover your tracks, my dude. Yeah, you got to have a bag, man, Penny. Come on. Way too smart for that. <laughs> I watch it. wise words from the backdoor cut show guys thank you again for hopping on and discussing memphis memphis coming in at 33 on the titch official rankings uh we appreciate the time fellas thank you 
Appreciate it. Appreciate boys. it. Keep up the good work. All right. We want to thank Mason and Sam for hopping onto the program and discussing Memphis. Great discussion. Obviously they're much closer to the program than we are. So it was some fantastic insight, but uh, we'll continue moving on here at 32, the Notre Dame fighting Irish out of the ACC, zero national titles, one final four, zero conference titles. Uh, that's shocking. Seven elite eights, 17 sweet 16s and 36 NCAA tournaments. So a few thoughts on Notre Dame. This is one of those where I look at the numbers and I'm kind of scratching my head wondering why we agreed on ranking them this high. They don't have any national titles. They only have one final four, but then as you continue to go down the line, the sweet 16s and the tournament berths look to have, have really saved them. And also the conference in which they've played the conferences, I should say, you know, this is another team like Syracuse where they've had to battle in both the big East and the ACC, which, uh, you know, that's two of the most arduous conferences that in college basketball history. I'm just shocked that they don't have more final four berths. You know, they had that perfect Kentucky team on the ropes, but couldn't finish the deal. And, you know, it's just kind of surprising to me that a program like Notre Dame, where obviously they're a football school, they do have the pedigree in basketball and shark. If you, you had mentioned with West Virginia, the head coaches there. I mean, I think going back to Digger Phelps, maybe with uh, a, one or two coaches in between Digger Phelps and Mike Bray, Notre Dame's had a pretty good successful run in terms of head coaches. Also. I like, so Notre Dame, you're, you're right, Sue. They don't, they don't have the highlights. Um, they don't have any titles. They, they have a ton of NCAA tournament appearances though. And they, when they get in the tournament, they do pretty well. They're kind of like, in my opinion, they, they are Princeton and Penn, but they don't have the mystique that you guys attribute to them. It's Notre Dame. It's obviously a football school, but they, they actually produce when they get into the tournament. They don't, they, they don't hit pay dirt or anything. They haven't done it yet, even though they've been pretty good relatively recently. But to have 36 tournament appearances, 17 of which you're getting to the Sweet 16, you're, 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 you're doing pretty damn good there. And I know on the Gonzaga episode, I talked about how that's the, uh, the pipeline for the undersized white point guard. Notre Dame is the pipeline for the unathletic power forward. Uh, going back to Troy Murphy, then you got Luke Herringody, then you got Jack Cooley, then you got my favorite one, Bonzi Colson, who looked like the most unathletic, l- literally looked injured on the court all the time, but just produced at every level. And he's still kicking around in the league right now. But Notre Dame, very boring. Uh, the fact that they are, but you know, the numbers don't lie in Mike Bray is about as good of a sustainable coach that you can have in college basketball at this point, not named, you know, Jay Wright, Coach K, Izzo, um, and Bill Self. I'm glad you brought up Roy, I'm glad Roy. you brought up the big beefy uh, forwards for Notre Dame. They even have one right now. I mean he's not that beefy, but he just fits the mold in in John Mooney. <laughs> And then also Bonzi Colson was hysterical to watch. Bonzi Colson was a six eight center, basically, somehow maneuvering, pivoting his way in the post against six ten guys, you know, six six eleven guys, and getting his layups off. Uh, memorable, memorable. Oh, he's uh, who is Grant Williams more athletic than Bonzi Colson? A little bit, but not by much, right? That's a good comparison. Although Grant was just much stronger and looked beefed out. Bonzi looked like he had a long weekend <laughs> pummeling food. 
<laughs> weekend at weekend at Bonzi's. Yeah. yeah. So to to echo your thoughts there, uh, they they're ninth in all time tournament uh, uh, wins or eighth, excuse me, eighth in uh, all time wins and ninth in tournament bids. Uh, and they're even twelfth in all time winning percentage. So another team that is kind of an underachiever in terms of top end success. It's important to point out that they were independent, much like the football program is until 1995. So that's why they lack a lot of those conference uh, titles that say some of these teams picked up in the 20s, 30s and 40s when they played in the Southern, Eastern, Northern, Western Divisional League with like four other teams. Um but still, it is a little shocking that they don't have a, a conference title even in the 25 years that they have been in the Big East and the ACC. Because uh, despite the fact that those conferences are really good, Notre Dame did have some teams along the last 25 years that could have won those conference titles. So interesting that they don't have uh, any conference titles at all. Now, I don't know. I, I just It's tough for me to see how Notre Dame is going to move up our list from here. Because I don't think Mike Bray is an awesome coach, and, but he reminds me of like the late Jerry Sloan, let's call it, right? Always good, always there, always in the tournament, and but never really peaking out. Obviously, the not you know the the years against the Bulls aside, you know the Jazz had a really long streak of making the tournament. I think an NBA record long streak of making the tournament with Jerry Sloan, and Notre Dame kind of strikes me in that same way where yeah they're gonna get there and they're gonna win a game or two but they're not i mean when's the last time that notre dame was like a national title contender was it the heron goatee years did we just did we, did we think, think they were no 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 Connaughton? yeah but yeah still, it was the team, they're still it was the team that it was it was literally the team that took kentucky to the brink uh sure outside of wisconsin that was kentucky's toughest test i think all year but would you have said that like there weren't five, 10 other teams that, you know, could have were equal to them or better. I, I can't think of in my lifetime, Notre Dame being the team to beat. And, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, maybe if they're too much in the shadow of the football program. Um, not that the football program has been unbelievable like they used to be, but I, maybe that has a part to do with why they just don't have the top end success. Like some of these, you know, some of these schools just can't get outside of the football program. And they never will. I mean, point blank, period. No, 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 tell no, no. Everyone They that. could win five national championships exactly. in a row. It wouldn't matter. Yeah, I mean, that is a that is the football school, the ultimate football school. But you bring up comparisons with Mike Breda to Jerry Sloan. I'm going to bring up another person that we've already discussed, and that's Lou, Lou Car- Carnesecca. I don't know why the fuck I can't pronounce his name right, off, right away. But, uh, yeah, Carnesecca, because he's got to go up against legendary coaches right now in the ACC, just like Carnesecca did in the Big East. He's got to go up against guys like Kay and and Roy and fucking Bayheim's old ass who's somehow spanning like four decades at this point. So I kind of look at Mike Bray in terms of of that because he has the continued success. He's a very good coach. I think he he's a coach K disciple, right? Uh, I'd have to look that up. He's on. Uh, one of those I'll coaching. take your word for it, though. Yeah, he's on. He's definitely on one of those. Co- or maybe, yeah, he's on one of those coaching trees, but. Uh, yeah, Notre Dame coming in at 32. Let's round it out, our list for today at least. At 31, out of the American Athletic Conference, it's Temple. Zero national titles, two Final Fours, 20 conference titles, eight Elite Eights, seven Sweet Sixteens, and 33 
NCAA tournaments. So Temple, some very balanced stats here. They're having uh, two Final Fours and eight Elite Eights, the most Elite Eights on this list, as a matter of fact, that we've gone through today. And almost all of this came under the legendary John Chaney. Uh, speaking of Chaney, actually, I wonder if he's listening to, the, listening to this pod right now. You know, this right here is your payback, John, your retribution over Coach Cal for for that uh, for that presser war that they had. Now he's above one of Coach Cal's teams. Uh, he's not obviously going to leapfrog the current Coach Cal team, but John Chaney, this one's for you, big guy. Uh, well, now 25 years later, you can brag. So that's all I really got on Temple, but because a lot of this came from from the Chaney years. Yeah, I, I'd you know we teased this earlier on, but Temple that is our um, I'd call this our highest rate rated mid major. I'm thinking of one other school that could potentially be in there, but I'm not going to classify that as a mid major. Uh, and again, it's another Midwest school, but I, I think Temple has consistently always been in a mid major conference, and uh, they've produced in that mid major conference. That you look at what they've done, you know, Subi. You hit the nail on the head there, guy. Just 33 tournament appearances. They got the two final fours. Um, just a story kind of consistently good in a, a, a in that elite basketball, uh, I guess, quartet that is in Philadelphia right there amongst those other schools, one of which we included just for whatever reason because Taylor wanted to. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, Temple, I can't say anything other than what the numbers already say. They're not that they're kind of always just floating around. Fran Dumphy had them poking in as an at-large team when he was coaching there. Um, and they haven't really done anything too significant of late, but you can't, the numbers don't lie there, boys. They really don't. This is a very productive and a great basketball school. Temples. And I mentioned this a couple episodes ago. There's always going to be one team out of the five that we dissect each episode where you say, Oh shit, really? They have those stats. This is Temple. This episode, it belongs to Temple because you know, I, I, I was kind of shocked at the amount of NCAA tournaments that they've had and even the Elite Eights. I mean, the eight Elite Eights is nothing to, to sneeze at. So Temple having that resume, uh, obviously very impressive, and I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. Well, you you know, this is one of the schools that uh, – or few schools on our list that actually have – more elite eight appearances than they do sweet 16 appearances because they made the tournament back in the day before the tournament was that many people large. So that, that's kind of a, uh, a unique nugget there. Um, they have, they have 33 tournament appearances, which I think is uh, like 12th all time. Uh, and they have some of the most wins of all time uh, as well. You know, they're again, a long history um, they would probably even be a touch higher on this list if the NCAA tournament was just one year older than it is because they did win the NIT in 1938, the year before the NCAA tournament was uh, what or had begun. Um, and back in those days, the NIT tournament was arguably bigger than the NCAA tournament, even into the 40s. So um, it's just, you know, again, like a lot of these schools we have on this list, uh, they're success was a lot early and then a little bit here recently, but they do have a long streak. They still have made the tournament six of the last 10, which is good or really good for almost any school. Really. If you even look at uh, 
you know, how many schools we think are actually really, really good schools. They probably still only make the tournament about 50 or 60% of the time. Well, I, I don't think Sue said this at the, at the top here, but when you look at the all-time wins in NCAA history, Temple is number five, which is preposterous when you're comparing it amongst these other schools. And obviously, they don't have the title. They don't have the final fours out of these other schools that we're going to get once we hit the top ten. But Temple at five, and that's kind of been a theme with a lot of these schools that we've mentioned on, on this show. you got Notre Dame in the top ten. you got St. John's in the top ten. But Temple is the highest amongst all those ones in terms of wins in NCAA Division I men's history. I'd also like to say that John Chaney might be the godfather of the disheveled tie look. I mean, he's got all of the components of a suit on, but he just looks terrible. I mean, and this is obviously over the course of a game, but the tie is completely unraveled. It's it's still in a knot, but it's not tight around the neck. Pretty sure Tarkanian had that as well. But John Chaney, pioneer in the disheveled, I'm, I'm a stressed out coach look. So... It's important when we look at numbers like all-time wins to understand that it's not just because they're old, but also that they've been good. If you look at our list today, you look at St. John's, Temple, and Notre Dame are all in the top 20 for winning percentage of all time, too. So you could still say, okay, so they were playing, again, Northeastern, Western State University, but... The fact that they're in there, and even Memphis is 26 all-time in uh, win percentage. So it's not just about the wins because they're old, but they also have won uh, in all eras enough to still be that high on the list in terms of all college basketball programs. Yeah, that's a great point. So uh, best player we had mentioned or we had we had voted on, Eddie Jones, had a great NBA career, was very good at Temple as well, and then fan favorite and current coach right now, Aaron McKee played it in, in a final series with uh, those Allen Iverson led Sixers. Uh, so Eddie Jones, Aaron McKee, and then going back to Notre Dame real quick, Troy Murphy, best player, fan favorite, Ben Hansborough, and never, never, ever, ever forget the tie lighter from Digger Phelps. I hope I'm not dating myself here. I mean, I hope people remember him on game day and him having a tie and highlighter coordinate. That's it is huge. And I, how long has he not been on game day? Oh, it's been a minute. I think. He's, yeah, I know. That's what, that's what's kind of funny to think is how long has it been? We're living in a Seth Greenberg era right now. Yeah. Oh God. I just want to, I just want to give Eddie Jones a little shout out though. Top five pencil stash, maybe in NBA history, Eddie Jones, yeah. that thing was always crispy. Doesn't Aaron, Aaron McKee had a pencil stash as well. Didn't he? I'm just thinking of his time on the Sixers, or was it that a beard? Was it a beard? You might have been right. I mean, he's a head coach right now, so hopefully he can bring him some excitement over there. Uh, I want to give a shout Deontay Christmas. Remember him? He was pretty filthy at Temple as well on those Fran Dunphy teams. All time. Former, a former Phoenix Sun great, Deontay Christmas there. Ball, I think he played like eight player. games. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So before we round it out with where am I in hugs, quick note, I have been clamoring or sort of yawning, I should say. I know neither the, those two words are not synonyms. I don't know how I would confuse them. But I've just been yawning at every single tweet from a college basketball insider about how since 2017 this uh, cheating scandal is going to rock the foundation of college basketball. Nothing's really happened as of note, uh, with the exception of Patino getting fired from Louisville, and now he's obviously back at Iona. But – 
another shoe has dropped, which I think is actually worthwhile. And that's Oklahoma State having a postseason ban next year. Now, Oklahoma State isn't necessarily your blue blood big time program like a Kansas Duke UNC. If you're waiting for them to get busted, I wouldn't hold your breath. But it is a power five conference school that was going to be good next year with a lot of incoming talent. Mike Boynton, a good young coach as well for the Cowboys. Postseason ban. I actually now would put this as the only the second thing since 2017. Uh, that has been of real note based on on what we've been seeing here over the past few years. Taylor, any thoughts on uh, the Cowboys being banned from the postseason next year? Yeah, they're just they're just a big enough program to make news, but not so big that anyone's going to give a shit about this. You know, like, oh, man, I can't believe how big they're going to punish Tulsa for Kansas's discretions. You know, it's kind of one of those deals where – the NCA goes, well, we have to make an example of someone. Uh, they're not going to make an example of one of the 10 to 15 schools that actually makes their money every year um, because nobody really cares if Oklahoma State makes it to the tournament or goes past the Sweet 16 or whatever. Kate Cunningham does. Well, okay, sure. But nationally, like your average fan is like, oh, yeah, Oklahoma State, cool. They're not like, oh, my God, I can't believe Kansas isn't in the tournament. Yeah, I, uh, well, Shark, I was going to say, can you give us a Gottlieb report? You're you're a Gottlieb guy. You're basically like, what's his name? Uh, who's the ESPN reporter that followed Barry Bonds around? Gomez, Pedro Gomez. Pedro Gomez. You're, you're our Pedro Gomez for Doug Gottlieb. First of all, thank you for that compliment, Pedro Gomez. <laughs> Strong reporting. Elite reporter. Uh, honestly, Gottlieb, he's trying a little too hard right now to be like a um, – a diet clay travis where he's not entirely right wing but he's saying stuff just to be a lightning rod uh so you know i'm given the the social climate right now i can't i don't think gottlieb said anything but he's definitely trying to fire up people with some of his tweets he's trying too hard um but aside from that i mean he's my boy love gottlieb i love his periscope I used to love Gottlieb, and I can say that I definitely like don't love Gottlieb anymore. He got, and this is what happens to a lot of reporters. When he was just like the fourth guy for the network or whatever, when he would just make appearances on things, I always loved him. When he got his own show and like got went to a new network and this whole deal, that's where for me it all went downhill. Because it's almost like to me Colin Cowherd. I really liked Colin Cowherd and his show at ESPN. Cause I thought he actually knew something. Now he doesn't do anything more than just pick. Okay. What are the four things that we're going to get that we're going to go, you know, yeah, got, get got them on fire. Follows, he follows the same format. Yeah. Fox and that's why right? Gottlieb fills in for coward when cowards on vacation. Cause yeah. they're the same kind of style, same type of, I don't want to say shock jock necessarily, but close to that in the sports world he's had such an interesting career god like he literally went espn and then he started doing intercom so like with tnt and all that during the tournament uh he was calling games and then they threw him in the st- i still remember they threw him in the studio the one time with like chuck and greg anthony and all those guys and he said something about being a white guy and it just completely went horribly hey, doug gottlieb kenny the jet smith sir charles barkley welcome back to new york guys and um it's gonna be a good night I think we're going to have four terrific games tonight. I, I really do think that they're going to be pretty evenly matched as it should be for Sweet 16. Cream rising to the crop. I don't know why you guys asked me. I'm just here to bring diversity to this set here. Give the kind of white man's perspective. 
on things okay. to point guard position, no? No. <laughs> okay, just checking. <laughs> Marquette, Miami. How about you guys? No, I'm just uh, checking, man. I'm just checking. You, uh, you you jump right into it. You're swimming hard. Okay. Swimming hard. <laughs> Up, upstream, I might ask. Trust me, we'll get you back before All the end right, of the night. Right? So, I, I, for me, you know, it could be a lot of firsts for Miami. And Twitter roasted him. And I think it was that moment Gottlieb was like, you know what? I'm going to be like the the watered-down Coke Zero version of Clay Travis <laughs> for college basketball. You're absolutely right. I remember that moment, too. It was cringeworthy, especially with Chuck right there. Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, I mean, good theater. I'll give, I'll give him that. It was entertaining. <laughs> Can't say I agree with him, but uh, love cringy stuff. All right. Well, next time, you're, you're, like I said, you're the Pedro Gomez for Gottlieb. So as, as things continue to move on, maybe that's your next mud assignment. Instead of getting in into the mud with – with Friars fam and, and the hoops to get in the mud with some of the Gottlieb guys. You're a Gottlieb guy. Yeah. I'll, I'll see what I can do. All right. Uh, let's round it out now. Where, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Taylor. So I went a little outside of the rules. Let's call it for this one. Cause we generally look for someone who is still, or is not a professional basketball player anymore. Um, but this guy is the reason that I went with this guy is because he played for two teams, notably on the list, uh, that we had today and grew up in competition with one of our hosts here. And that's Dalton Pepper. Dalton Pepper played for both Temple and West Virginia in his career and had a very unique career where he went three years of college, even after his transfer year, where he averaged three points a game. And then averaged 18 points a game his senior year and is actually still playing basketball uh, in Europe. Uh, one of the reasons also I bring up Dalton Pepper and uh, Subi and I were having this discussion pre-show. For those listeners out there who don't think that their favorite college basketball player isn't still playing basketball in some way, shape, or form is completely wrong. There are so many fucking basketball leagues around the world that – I. Even like the ninth guy on the bench of a college basketball team is playing in like Latvia for some team. Uh, it, it makes it very interesting to find it. Uh, where am I when every single player from college almost ever is still playing basketball somewhere or another? Um, but Dalton Pepper only describes himself now as a part time professional basketball player, but he does describe himself as a full-time NFL gambler. So uh, take that however you want it. Uh, he does also uh, say that his, on his Twitter bio that he is, quote-unquote, just like we all are, I guess, at this point, is living the dream. So uh, shouts to Dalton Pepper, but I do want to hand this off to Subi about his experience with Dalton Pepper and then also the point about how many good basketball players there are like around the world. Yeah, so I mean, let's let's address that second point. First and foremost, it's impossible. It's getting impossible to get these "Where Am I" guys because not only do they, you know, the rules state for us that they can't be playing basketball, but they also have to be notable. I mean, it's probably easy to get a walk on that. I mean, Drew Mellon at Arizona. What's Drew Mellon up to? Does anyone know who, who the fuck Drew Mellon is? David no. David Baga. David Baga. Yeah, nobody knows who these people are. They have to be somewhat notable. Uh, but also not good enough to be a pro. That's why it's actually pretty amazing that Luke Hancock was featured in Where Am I? Because he's a Final Four MOP for uh, an all-time program like Louisville. So, you know, thank you, Luke, for for 
providing us that content. But yes, I did grow up with Dalton Pepper in Yardley, Pennsylvania. We were on the same soccer team. And in every everyone's played youth soccer, and everyone knows that huge athletic guy that doesn't have any skill. He's just a big motherfucker who runs fast, and that's what Dalton was. And so Dalton wasn't necessarily good at all. He was just really tall and fast and strong. And I think once he realized that, took his talents to the basketball court, hung up the cleats forever. And I, for one, was happy because it was a pain in the ass. Fifth grade Subramanian, like 10-year-old frail Indian kid who's just, I mean, being frail is like ingrained in my body going up against who we now see Dalton Pepper, West Virginia Temple guy, bred by by Huggy. Uh, yeah, I, I played soccer with Dalton Pepper, but I mean, he was a hell of a ball player. And, and like you had mentioned, people may now just remember Dalton, but he's clearly good enough to play professionally. And uh, a lot of the players at your high school that are going D1 are good enough to play professionally as well. Shark, you remember Dalton? I do. I'm reading a headline right now. It's called The Curious Case of Dalton Pepper. That's just that's an all-time headline right there. That Why would they reach out to me? No, I'm I just give them roots. This guy that writes for the uh, Temple News, Abraham, Abraham Jacobs. This guy, what a headline. Wow. You know, I have to say the best headline, and this is kind of a layup, uh, no basketball pun intended there, though, was uh, when Dalton, trans- or Dalton Pepper transferred, one of the headlines was, pass the pepper. <laughs> That's good. probably Abraham Jacobs again right there. That guy delivers. <laughs> that's, that's definitely true. I mean, the content of the article is probably garbage, but he nailed nailed the headline. Not bad. Well, Dalton Pepper, where am I? Thank you. Let's round it out real quick with some hugs. Uh, I'll kick it off. My hug goes to Will Ryan, son of ex-Wisconsin coach Bo Ryan. He's been hired as the basketball coach at Green Bay. Just a Wisconsin family through and through. You hate me. I hate you. I might be mistaken, but I feel like Will kind of got a raw deal here being the son of a legendary coach like Bo uh, and in the state of Wisconsin. The, the guy's 41 already, and he got hired after posting a 14-13 and 13 record when he was coaching D2 last year. So he previously worked at a, as an assistant at Ohio and North Dakota State. And at Wisconsin, he was the director of basketball operations and, and the video coordinator. So the reason why I say I feel like he's gotten a raw deal is because, I mean, is, is nepotism dead? What are we doing here? Will Ryan, dude, take advantage of who your dad actually is. Ohio, North Dakota State. You were in D2 last year. Now you're at Green Bay. 41 years of age. I mean, this is what, like, like what's his fate? Greg Paulus is at Niagara, and he's like 35. You I, know, I just found it staggering that a guy you, like Bo Ryan's son in Wisconsin can't get a better deal than this. You don't think that Bo – didn't make a call to the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Phoenix, I believe, is their uh, team name there. You don't think Bo made a didn't make a call to that and said like, "Hey, let's," because you know what's going to happen. This is just the long game. This is the long game of nepotism. Make it look like there's no nepotism involved because you're getting your kid jobs at other notable places around the country until you bring them back home to your to your state. And then all of a sudden, Greg Gard retires in five to ten years. And look who's right there in state. Knows the culture. Bo Ryan's son. That's the long game of nepotism, in my opinion. If you rush it, you turn into Bobby Knight's kid and you flame out of Texas Tech too quick. And then you're doing nothing for the rest of your life. So he's probably playing it smart. But earn your stripes the right way. 
incredibly long game. Shark, you got any hugs? Yeah, my hug. Um, you know, obviously, we bunch of social issues going on. I don't think anyone wants to listen to us talk about that. Uh, coronavirus going on. Countries crumbling, both from health-wise and mental health-wise, uh, socially. But Joe Lenardi is still cranking out bracketologies as of six days ago. He did another bracketology. He's predicting the field for a season that hasn't even started yet, predicting it down to who the next four out is going to be. And Lenardi's still doing it in the, in the middle of the weekend when there's protests going on left and right. Incredible work from Joey Brackets. That's true. He's he's earned my respect after these past few months. Just, I mean, maybe maybe he's just that guy that refuses to come to grips with reality. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? This the the country's fraught. He still laces them up every day. Joey Brackets, unreal. Hey, everybody needs their. Uh, I don't want to call it a distraction because that's not the right word, but they're, uh, you know, just their getaway for five minutes, you know, to kind of get it back to neutral. And that's, that's what Joey is providing us really. That's what listening to this podcast is providing people, you know, like, let's just take a step back for a second. And I, Joey Brackets is just doing the, uh, the short version of what we're doing, I guess. You know, we definitely appreciate it. Junkies like us love it. But there might be someone who just flies off the radar and is like, God damn it, Joe, why are you trying to tease us like this? He seems like the guy, uh, the Kansas State player, who stole the ball against Kansas when they were down like 50. He's still <laughs> yeah. putting forth that effort. And someone like Sylvia D'Souza is going to come out of nowhere and just be like, fuck this, stop antagonizing us. Yeah. True. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a great, great analogy right there. So uh, my hug is actually going to be to one of our longtime listeners. I would hazard to guess that he's listened to 90% of the theater and college hoops uh, podcast ever produced. And that's a friend of the program, Cody Hoxie, who as we speak is awaiting the birth of his first child right now. Uh, so I'm going to give my hug to code and his wife, Kathleen on a personal note there, just because he is a big friend of the program. Despite the fact he's a Duke fan from North pole, Alaska, we'll still give him a hug for him and his wife. Expecting yes. their first child. Absolutely. This is a family friendly program hug. Hug for Cody and the family hug for the fan. All right. <laughs> well, fellas, next episode, we dive and crack into the top 30. Start Pavlovin because we're going to get some serious programs here uh, as we continue on this journey uh, of the manifesto. Again, we want to thank the Backdoor Cut Show guys. Listen to their podcast, Everything Memphis, whether it be Tigers or Grizzlies, here on the Barnburner Podcast Network. Uh, and we will catch you guys next time here on Theater and College Hoops. Start Pavlovin. You should write that down. That's a good one, Father. I'm singing in the rain. You're singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling. I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above. The sun's in my heart and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from the place. Come on with the rain, I've a smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a happy refrain, just singing, singing.
singing in the rain Dancing in the rain Singing in 